Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you so much for listening today. As always, go check out reallifepharmacology.com. We got that free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs. It's a great study guide, great refresher if you're out in practice. Uh, No-brainer, definitely, to, to go get that. Simply an email is all it's going to cost you. Uh, we also get you updates when we've got new podcasts and content available as well. So again, reallifepharmacology.com, uh, free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs. All right, let's get into the drug of the day today, and that is pregabalin. Uh, brand name of this medication is Lyrica. Uh, this medication is historically uh, categorized and was first approved um, as an adjunct anti-seizure medication. So that's that may be how you see it classified. Uh, I can tell you out in real life practice, uh, the majority of times you see this medication, uh, it is likely being used for uh, analgesic purposes. And more specifically, uh, it's associated with uh, neurology and neuropathy, those type of pain syndromes, fibromyalgia, um, RLS, uh, restless leg syndrome, you may see it used for. Uh, so those are going to be uh, probably the most common indications that I've seen in my practice. Uh, off-label, I have seen some wackier uses, um, anxiety, uh, menopausal symptoms like hot flashes, you know, that type of, of situation, I, I would say I see gabapentin probably used a little bit more. Uh, it's got a similar mechanism of action and things of that nature. Uh, but there are some uh, kind of wackier off-label uses. Uh, but again, by far, I see uh, it used for neuropathy and those type of, of pain syndromes. Mechanistically, how does this drug work? Uh, it binds the alpha-2 delta subunit on voltage-gated calcium channels. Obviously, this is in the uh, central nervous system. And ultimately, what that binding does is it inhibits the release of excitatory neurotransmitters. So it kind of settles down the immune, uh, excuse me, not the immune system, it settles down uh, the central nervous system. So a couple examples of excitatory neurotransmitters uh, not an all-inclusive list by any means, but uh, glutamate is often you'll one here referred, and uh, norepinephrine there as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about dosing and dosage forms. Um, so there are lots of dosage forms, 25 milligrams, 50, 75, 100, 150, 200, uh, up to 300 milligrams, probably the most common uh Dosage forms that I see used are in the neighborhood of you know 50 to 100, maybe up to 150 milligrams. Uh, there is, um, I, I have seen occasions where I have seen 600, uh, a maximum of 600 milligrams per day used. I would say in my geriatric patient population, it's not terribly common that I see that high of a dose used. Um, and that's obviously, you know, in our geriatric patients, we run into a little bit more adverse effects. There are some maximum recommended dosages um, for renal function. So patients with uh, renal function, 30 to 60 mils per minute, that maximum is recommended at 300 milligrams. 15 to 30, it's 150 milligrams. And less than 15, it's 75 milligrams per day. So 
As you can imagine, when I talk about kinetics, uh, you're going to understand why that's the case, because this drug is uh, primarily renally eliminated. Uh, there is a uh, extended release or controlled release uh, formulation. I'm not going to spend much time on it. Honestly, I've never seen it used uh, in practice. So a uh, big issue there is going to be a, a cost uh, perspective compared to the uh, traditional use. Uh, this drug is typically going to be dosed uh, two to three times per day because of the half-life being a little bit shorter. So uh, you're going to see you know, 50 milligrams three times a day, 75 milligrams twice a day. Uh, when this medication was significantly more expensive, um, often I would, would make the recommendation where if a patient was on uh, 50 milligrams three times a day and maybe they were struggling with costs or things of that nature, uh, maybe we'd try to switch them to 75 milligrams twice a day and see if they could get by with that. Um, that might help, you know, obviously reduce their pill burden, decrease the number of pills, and hopefully reduce costs. Uh, not generally not a recommendation I make anymore with uh, costs have come down with this medication. Um, but just something to, to think about there. Uh, maybe if you've got a patient struggling with um, adherence, they're forgetting doses and it's, you know, causing them pain or whatever the case may be, um, that may be an option to uh, reduce pill burden uh, to go from three times a day down to two times a day, for example. So again, definitely can depend upon the clinical situation, uh, but it might be something to think about uh, depending upon that situation. All right, let's get into adverse effects. Uh, first and foremost, this medication is sedating. Uh, it has a sedative nature to it. Uh, again, we're trying to blunt um, and reduce the action of excitatory neurotransmitters. Naturally, that's going to lead um, to sedative type properties. Next, uh, edema, swelling, that's definitely on the list for me, me to pay attention to. Uh, if you've got a patient with heart failure, for example, you know they're on diuretics. Um, and we're trying to reduce swelling, this drug's going to potentially add to that. So that's a good patient population where uh, we'd probably want to look to uh, other alternatives compared to using uh, pregabalin. In addition to that, uh, there has been some evidence showing weight gain irrespective of edema or swelling. Um, so that might be a concern. Obviously, higher dosages, longer duration, that's going to increase that risk there. The action on the central nervous system in my geriatric patient population, we got to be careful for, you know, falls, uh, ataxia, confusion, dizziness. Uh, those can all certainly happen. So definitely pay attention to that. And obviously, the higher the dose, the more and more likely we're going to run into that. Also, that bit with uh, renal function. If you've got a patient with poor renal function and you're using more aggressive doses, dosages, um, these adverse effects are more likely to occur there. Uh, dry mouth, I have seen uh, maybe on occasion a couple of times. Usually the patient is taking other anticholinergic anti medications that are probably causing it, um, but there is some potential and some evidence to say that uh, pregabalin could uh, contribute to that adverse effect as well. Uh, rare uh, adverse drug reactions... Uh, skin reactions, uh, visual changes, uh, suicidal ideation, as well as uh, psychiatric changes have been reported as well. So again, just something to kind of pay attention to, look out for 
uh, if patients are reporting anything unusual there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, kinetics. Uh, so first and foremost, I did mention renal elimination, and uh, this drug is eliminated in the urine at a 90% rate uh, as unchanged drug. So that's why there's such an emphasis on dosage adjustments uh, in patients with poor renal function. So really got to pay attention to that. If you know somebody has CKD, generally that's a progressive disease. Their renal function is going to get worse over time, and that naturally happens with aging too. So just because, you know, 300 milligrams a day was well tolerated five, 10 years ago, that dose may not be well tolerated uh, today for that patient. So pay attention to that. Uh, on the kinetics side of things, I did want to uh, bring in gabapentin and discuss that. So um, there's basically two, in my mind, there's two major differences between gabapentin and pregabalin, or at least two that I think are clinically significant. So uh, gabapentin historically is less expensive than pregabalin. And I think most clinicians are more comfortable with gabapentin um, because they generally have more experience and have used it more. Uh, but I will say if you get patients who are on higher doses of gabapentin and not responding to the medication... Uh, pregabalin does do a little bit better um, as we get to higher dosages, and that is because the absorption is better. So pregabalin doesn't have dose-dependent absorption issues. So you know, as you escalate dose, you still get pretty consistent absorption of pregabalin, but with gabapentin, that absorption or that percent absorbed can actually uh, reduce as you escalate the dose. So um, that's why maybe at higher doses of gabapentin, you may not see as good a response as you might with pregabalin. Again, I don't see many patients uh, getting up to you know crazy high doses of gabapentin, so it's it's generally not a huge concern. Um, but if you've got that rare case where you're you know trying to push doses dosages and you don't have any other options, um, you may be getting a little bit less response from that gabapentin, and that's all due uh, to this absorption issue. Um, onset of action, so, you know, most common indication neuropathy, uh, it's going to take, you know, upwards of a, of a week or two to really start to see those benefits. Um, some patients, you may see it earlier, you know, within the first, you know, day or two, um, but for that significant benefit, and for most patients, probably going to take, uh, you know, maybe a week or two to see that um, pain-relieving analgesic benefit in something like neuropathy, for example. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll wrap up with drug interactions. If you're in the market for any pharmacist board certification study material like BCPS, ambulatory care, BCMTMS, NAPLAX, or others, go check out meded101.com slash store. We've got a great list of resources. They're updated annually, uh, and we've helped uh, hundreds, maybe now thousands of pharmacists and candidates pass their board exams. So uh, go check that out, support the sponsor, and uh, help keep this podcast free and available for uh, other healthcare professionals to enjoy. A couple of other 
uh, options. If you're not a pharmacist, definitely go check out uh, Flippin' Pharmacology Flashcards. It's a great resource for anyone going through classes or want a little refresher. Also a great gift idea. Uh, and then we've got the Pharmacology Crossword Puzzle Book as well on Amazon. So uh, kind of unique uh, ways to review, refresh pharmacology there for you. All right, let's get back into pregabalin and let's talk about drug interactions. So we avoid the SIP enzyme system, and that's pretty clear by recognizing that 90% of the drug is eliminated in the urine unchanged. So that's nice. We don't have to worry about SIP enzyme interactions with pregabalin. Uh, however, there are some potential additive type adverse effects. So first and foremost, sedation, opioid overdose risk, um, that can have a cumulative effect, and, and pregabalin can certainly add to that. Uh, benzodiazepines, alcohol, they can certainly add on to the sedative nature of the drug. So any CNS depressants, you know, I think of uh, some of the older anticholinergics, for example, these can all have additive effects on top of pregabalin and increased risk for toxicity and sedation. Also, want to think about um, that edema adverse effect. So if we add on other drugs that can cause uh, fluid retention, so let's say maybe NSAIDs, maybe pioglitazone, uh, that can have an additive effect on top of pregabalin's ability uh, to cause that swelling and edema. And last but not least, I did want to mention uh, diuretics. So I've seen this numerous times where we have the prescribing cascade. So let's say we add on pregabalin and now we see a new start of furosemide or maybe an increase of furosemide uh, because we're seeing an increase in edema. So remember that prescribing cascade. That's really, really important uh, because I have seen that come into play numerous times. Uh, one more, I did want to mention renal function. So um, we can certainly have medications that increase the risk for renal impairment. Uh, so drugs like NSAIDs, ACE inhibitors, diuretics, aminoglycosides. If we impair that kidney or make that renal function worse, we can see an accumulation of pregabalin. So again, really important to monitor that renal function, making sure that we aren't doing more harm than good with medications. Um, and certainly how that can play a role in pregabalin concentrations if that renal function does decline. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap up the podcast for today. If you learned anything today, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, support the sponsor, meded101.com. You can do that by going to meded101.com slash store. All purchases there go directly uh, to help support and fund this podcast. So I greatly appreciate those of you who have done that. Uh, if you're looking to reach out to me, you got suggestions, comments, questions about you know study materials, books, anything like that, don't hesitate to do that, mededucation101 at gmail.com, or you can track me down on LinkedIn as well, Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCPS, BCGP. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.